Welcome or welcome back to Soap Glory, the official gathering place of newbies, novices, and Joji diehard fans of the golden age of prime time. I'm your host, Jed, and we're viewing and reviewing the soapiest of the prime time storyline of the 80s this week. It's season three, episode six of Falcon Crest, The Wages of Sin. I'm going to watch this in real time and keep you guys abreast of all the new developments. Giving you the good, the bad, the bold, and the bubbly of this iconic soap. So whether you're new to this or true to this, sit back and enjoy. Tell the kids to play outside or out of sight. Tell they no questions, suggestions, or concerns for the next 25-35 minutes. Tell everyone else in earshot. You listen. You can be cool, you can be quiet, or you will be put out. Because baby, my stories are on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Soap Boy. Hello, gorgeous. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of Soap Lore. New this week, I know this is the third installment of the Versus Versus this week. That would be Dynasty versus Dallas versus Falcon Crest. And Dynasty and Dallas have put on quite the show. Not a ton is happening, but just enough is being revealed to make everything super juicy and super interesting. We seem to be at that point in the season where it's time to build up a little bit more drama. So, with that being said, we're going to watch The Wages of Sin. We're going to do this just like the other episodes. We're going to watch it in real time. And I've actually, well, not fully. I've actually watched a little bit of this one so far. And not much is happening. This is on the heels of Julia confessing to the judge that she wants to plead guilty. So we're going to see how that turns out for her. And I think that's a, that's about all that's happened. Grab yourself something refreshing. Even though it's a little chilly outside today, I'm still going to have my typical sparkling water on ice. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go ahead and jump into this. Hopefully this episode is a little richer than the last few. I love Falcon Crest, but I do find that sometimes they slink back into that slow, slow burn. And it's hard when you're watching three in a row. I don't want to see the slowest of the burn. So we'll jump in and see what happens on season three, episode six, The Wages of Sin. Okay. Dare I say it, perhaps I have my doubts. I no longer feel that way. I'm only eight or nine minutes in, but things are stacking up quite quickly. Lance is reeling. He's going through it. He can't believe his mom has confessed it's not like she had a choice. It's not that she confessed. It's that she has pleaded guilty. So he's thinking she's going through like a psychological issue at the moment. Angela is also reeling. She just can't believe this. They want to do their due diligence and make sure that she gets off or that something can be done. They're basically fighting to get some sort of injunction and saying that Julia was not in her right mind. Meanwhile, I have fully un- un- underestimated how incredibly soapy this soap opera is. So the family's sitting on the couch and Philip, the lawyer, he comes in and he explains that, listen, I tried my best, but the girl pleaded guilty. There's nothing I can do. Think about this. So Angela is having some sort of affair with Philip. Philip is a double agent. Now she knows that she sent him over to Richard, who would happen to be her ex-husband's 
love child. She sent him to Richard to spy, basically to keep her abreast of all of Richard's doing. So Philip is doing a little bit of that, but he's also doing a little damage on the other end of that with Richard against Angela. Try to keep up, y'all. If this, if you're new to this, it's a lot to keep up with. So picture, so they're sitting in the living room, and Melissa has her arm wrapped in arms in Lance's arm, and he's you know begging, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe my mom's doing this." And I'm thinking to myself, dang, I kind of forgot that his mom killed her dad. But she's still sitting in the house with these people who want to free this woman. I forgot she's playing a role. She's pretending to be forgiving and understanding that her mother was just lovesick and lost her mind for a little bit. But the truth is she wants this woman dead, dead, dead. So she's playing the part. Meanwhile, Angela also knows that Melissa is having an affair with Richard. She told Richard that she's having his baby, only he's had a vasectomy, so that's never going to happen. So then there's a scene that goes, the next scene is Emma is talking to Richard. He's promoted her to vice president of whatever. And he's asking about, you know, who do you think we should hire as a new writer? She's like, yo, let's do Maggie. Okay, that's all well and good. But then I started to think about that. It's like, She goes over to Maggie's house to convince her to come work for Richard. Now, Maggie is hesitant because she feels like Richard is a bad egg only because he outed her mother-in-law as his mother. That's really all. Oh, and then he wrote that horrible story about her son being the baby daddy of Melissa's first baby. Yes. Okay. He's also, Richard is also Chase's blood brother, but Emma And he shared the same sister in Julia, who also killed his mom. This is fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. It's a deep, slow burn. So you got to kind of sit and watch it all together, all in one piece. But these people are smiling at each other's faces when everyone has been touched by either the murderer or the murdered. It's fascinating. So anyways, that's all where, that's all that's really happened just now, but I'm starting to really fully appreciate the time they're taking to build this story. Meanwhile, cousin, Dr. Dr. Cousins, aka Michael, who looks a whole lot like Chase in real life. I wonder if they're related. I'll have to pay attention to their names, but Michael is is more and more pressed because he's digging more and more into Chase's records. And there's just no way. He's like, there's no way a a doctor with a great reputation like that would misdiagnose you that badly. Like this looks like, I hate to break it to you, bro. This looks like he tried to kill you. And Chase is just like, no, man, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine why he would want to do that. And Michael's like, I don't know, cuz, but I mean, there's no other explanation for it. He's not that dumb. There's no way. It's like he either wanted you permanently out of here or he was trying to slow you down indefinitely. So Chase is like, yeah. This smells like Angela. Angela has her hands all up and through this. I just know it. Mm-mm-mm. There's a difference between guilt and remorse. People can feel guilty without feeling remorseful. Remorse means you are willing to accept the truth of your actions and whatever consequences come with that. Remorse means you feel bad about it and you want to make amends. I thought... This is what this episode would be about. I thought we'd talk fully about Julia's time in jail and what remorse she is or isn't feeling and what her life sentence will be. Will she be sentenced to death or will she be sentenced to life behind bars? Spoiler alert, 
It's like behind bars because I have a sneaking suspicion she's going to be let out of prison sooner rather than later. So this episode was just basically not a, a cleanup, but there's a lot of, they're starting to to wind things down. We got to get Jacqueline's will read. Got to get to the bottom of uh, Dr. Landry's accusations I mean, about him trying to kill Chase. Got to get the Agretti grapes sold to the highest bidder, and we got to get Julia put behind bars or put to death. Okay, so first things first, Philip at some point when he's talking to Angela, she's outside and she doesn't have a phone by her pool like the the Ewing family. So she has to run back in the house to answer the phone. And this man does one of the most despicable things I've ever seen. I would never trust anyone who did this, especially a man. He digs in her purse when she's not looking pulls out one of those Harry Potter keys, which is to her beautiful, ornate desk. He opens the desk drawer, steals a contract for Melissa's grapes, simply folds it, puts it in his pocket and bounces. This is how easy it is to have, what would you call that? Administrative espionage? Is that what that is? It's what he's, he's it's espionage of some sort. But he, uh, yeah, he steals a contract. So now it's null and void because it's not scanned into any system. Perhaps there's a fake copy drawn up. Maybe there's a copy somewhere, but he seems pretty confident that it's not. So he steals it and he, uh, he goes and he delivers it to Melissa. So he's like, Melissa, now you're free and clear. You can sell your grapes to whomever you please, which we all know is going to be Richard. Now, Richard is being very busy. Suddenly... The Maggie thing makes sense. It don't, it doesn't make sense because if you read the little excerpt before the show starts, it says, oh, you know, um, Richard uses Emma to get Maggie to work for him. Only that's not true. This was Emma's idea all along. So when Maggie decides to write for the paper, I'm thinking, now what good is that going to do? What, what leverage does that give Richard? Not any leverage in the paper per se, but it does make the the details of Jacqueline's will come to light a little bit more. Now, I don't remember them discussing this at any other point, but apparently there is a lawyer who let Cousin Doctor, aka Michael, know that he was going to be the executor of the will, who is also working for Richard. Surprise, surprise. Perhaps because they all come out of that same office in New York, who knows? But he, he spills a few of the details and it's like, in order for Richard to gain anything from the will, he and Chase have to be on like good standing. They have to be not necessarily brother, brother up, but they need to be in good standing with each other. So this is his parlay. He's going to bring Maggie into the business. He writes this really kind article about Julia, painting her more as a disturbed woman, a heartbroken woman who just been trampled on so many times that she finally snapped versus her being the cold-blooded killer like he wrote a few weeks earlier. This is how I know this paper. He don't care what they put in this paper. They really don't. But you know what? We need a central place in a soap opera. So be it. It's going to be Falcon Crest. It's going to be the globe. It has to be one of the two of those. So the rest of the episode is Melissa selling her grapes to Richard. Never mind the fact that Angela's going to figure out pretty soon who stole the contract. There's only one person who could have done it. And it is absolutely Philip. And then it is the sentencing. So before sentencing, 
Angela. It's it's like you see Angela and Lance just stressed out this entire episode. Lance can't bear the thought of going to see his mother behind bars, so he stops visiting her. Angela wants him to continue, but he won't do it. So Melissa goes instead. Now, Melissa has a motive. She wants the death penalty. She wants to make sure that this woman dies. So when she goes, she's, you know, she's talking to her and she's, Julia's talking about how much she misses Lance and how much she misses the baby. And it's just torture not being able to see them. Melissa lets her know, well, Lance isn't going to come. He destroyed all the pictures of you. He's just really not into it. I've tried to talk him into seeing you, but he won't do it. Julia absolutely falls apart. She's like, I have, I killed for this kid. Everything in my life I've ever done is for him. And if he's done with me, then there's nothing worth living for. And Melissa, you know, she's at first, she's pretending to cry alongside Julia. Julia's such a fool. I can't believe this wine scientist is so gullible. But as she's crying, suddenly Melissa stops and she's like, well, you know, you could, uh, you could always ask the judge for the death penalty. Mm hmm. That'll clear your, your conscience, yeah? <laughs> well, Julia seems to think this is a really bright idea. So the day of court comes and, you know, the, the prosecution is given their their statement. The defense gives their statement. And, the you know, her family and Philip are just basically saying she's a good lady. She's clearly sick in the head or something at this moment. So she shouldn't, she shouldn't be taken seriously. We don't want this for her. We love her telling you she's a good person. She's had a bad week, bad month or whatever. Well, the other lawyer breaks it down. He's like, not only did she plot and plan to kill someone, she tried to frame another guy. She then tried to frame him, tried to kill him and frame it as a suicide. And then once she was found out, she shot another person. And her family's was kind of like squirming in their seat, like, dang, sometimes you don't think about stuff until you hear it out loud. And you're like, damn, this is kind of, I mean, well, yeah, that is, that don't sound like a nice, sane person to me. That sounds like a murderer. The judge seems to agree. But before he can give his stance, Julia once again stands up. She tells Philip, Philip, sit down, mind your business. I'm going to speak on my own behalf one more again. She says, Judge, the only request I have is for the death penalty. And of course, Melissa is like trying to look stoic, but she's choking back a smile like, yes, absolutely. Yes, Judge, please. Got her fingers crossed under her legs or whatever. What happens, though, is the judge decides, you know what, lady, you are not fit for society. I don't want to see you out in these streets by any means necessary. Absolutely. You will spend the rest of your life in prison. She has the nerve to look shocked. Mm-hmm. Like I said, sometimes that that remorse can cost you a lot. Granted, this is soap opera doesn't make that big of a difference. But I'd like to tell you my own personal experience with remorse and what it ended up costing me. Full disclosure, I was much, much younger when this happened, but I'm working for this temp agency and I'm driving out to, it's like a a company, it's like not an oil company, but they did something with the oil business. Something like where they worked with pipes. I don't even really remember the situation, but you had to drive down this really long road and then you could turn into this parking lot after you showed your little badge at the gate, got into the parking lot, no issue. Been there about three months at this point. And maybe I was giving a full concert in my car. I don't know. Either feeling the music too much, 
not paying attention. Sun was too bright. It was an unfortunate series of events that I don't fully recall. But next thing I know, I'm about to hit my high note and I mess around to hear a crunch. I'm like, oh crap. I hit the car parked next to me. So I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. Just get out, look at everything. Luckily, I'd worked for a car dealership before, so I knew what to look for. And I'm looking minor damage to mine. It was a little bit damaged to the um, driver's side, like that front wheel well, a little tiny bit, like on the fender, a little bit on the bumper. No big deal. Now, the car that I happened to hit was an older hoopty, if you will. That's what we used to call them, hoopty. A little bit of a clunker. It was a purple people eater. It was different, 14 different shades of violet. Clearly, it was like an old school Impala, something that somebody was working on, I hope. It's what it looked like. It looked like he just bought it and he was going to fix it up bit by bit. In my mind, this would have been a show car at some point. So I'm like, crap. Let me just bite the bullet, go in here and figure out whose car this is. And this is a sm- it was a huge company, but the, the the department that I worked in was very small. It was only like seven people. So I start asking around, and one of the guys in the apartment he thought he might have known who it is. So he goes to look in the pipe yard. Da 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 da. Eventually, we find a friend of his. So I'm like, hey, where is let's call him Joey, because I really don't remember his name. Where's Joey? Oh, Joey just got fired. <gasps> oh. You want to talk about guilt. I already felt guilty. I already was remorseful, but I'm like, man, this guy's not having a great day. This sucks. So I I can't remember if I called my insurance company first hmm, or if I called him. I feel like I called the insurance company that, you know, reported what had happened. And then I called him and I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm me. I'm so sorry, but I hit your car this morning. And you know what he says? I'm expecting him to yell at me, to be like, oh, F this is a horrible day. Da, da, da. Not only was he super polite, he was like, you did? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely hit your car. You have the, and I described the car. And he's like, yeah, that's my car. So he goes outside and he looks at it. And he can't hardly tell. And he's like, oh, man, don't worry about it. I was like, well, I already called my insurance company. So they're going to be calling you. I'm really, really sorry. And he's like, yeah, no biggie. He was not, he wasn't worried about it. So I'm like, great, you know, perfect. I felt crappy for hitting his car and I hated that he lost his job that day. But I'm like, at least that's like one little thing. He doesn't have to worry about that. Well, it wasn't for a few months. I didn't know this. I had already stopped working there. But I find out much later that he had actually told me company that I had actually crushed the entire right side of his vehicle, which was not true. It was already dented. I know it sounds like a likely story, but when I'm telling you this was a purple people eater, each panel was different. Each wheel well was a different shade of purple. The, I think the back, like the trunk was already caved in or something. It was a clunker. But he tells them that I basically did more damage than that. So you can imagine how much my insurance skyrocketed. Now, granted, <laughs> it's not the same as killing two people like she did on this soap opera. But I'm like, damn, sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes being overwhelmed with remorse is one thing. But baby, think it all the way through. Had I been in my better judgment, I still would have called him. But I would have worked out something like, hey, I know I took, you know, I took pictures. I did this little part. You know, I hurt this little part of your car. What if I slide you? 200 bucks would have been well worth it he probably popped it out that day anyway lesson learned 
I paid for that for many, many years. My insurance, I'm, I'm happy to report, has gone down <laughs> through years of responsible driving. And let's hope that Julia can redeem herself on this show if she continues through years of responsible citizenship and not killing off people who piss her off. Now, with that being said, I think we have to crown the best and brightest this week. We listen to all three shows. And I think the winner, although surprising, is clear. I think the winner is clear this week. It is absolutely Dallas. Hands down, we got to watch a geriatric bar fight. Got to watch. (laughs) Who knew Jock Ewing would be the most interesting character on the episode? I didn't see that coming. Love the fact that he has a wife or an ex-wife. Love the fact that she's in an insane asylum. And I love even more that only one person knows about it. Oof. And it's the most scandalous person. So I can only imagine what he's going to do. You know, he's not, you know, JR is not going to let her out, but hands down, best storyline. I am so excited for the potential of a Claudia D. Stalin type character, a geriatric Claudia D. Stalin to pop up on Dallas and start ruffling feathers because these little young girls don't have it together. Only person with a good head on their shoulders, Kristen at this point, Sue Ellen still don't care nothing about nothing. Pam is still going to sweat bullets for the next six months. And Ellie hopefully doesn't have a devastating diagnosis, but ultimately she's not bringing that heat. And Lucy, the Lolita of the Southwest, is the biggest disappointment of all. So hopefully this mental asylum character brings in some heat. That's it. That's all for this episode of So Forth. Thank you for joining me. Remember to stay hydrated, stay moisturized, mind your own business, and keep all of your drama on TV. And if you hit the card next to you, see if you can work out a deal first. Okay? Just saying. Bye, y'all.